When I was um, dating uh, Pip, who became my wife, I would often ask the question, are you Miss Wright? Are you the one? Not out loud, of course. Uh, but it reminds me of the second day of our honeymoon when I did say out loud, what have I done? Which was not a great thing to say to your newlywed on the day after your wedding. But we do ask these questions of others from time to time, don't we? Of teachers, for example, and bosses and politicians. Are you the one? In other words, are you the real deal? Uh, can I lean on you? Are you going to follow through? Are you the one? Today, the gospel reading uh, injects a different kind of mood into the Advent season. Advent is, of course, about perseverance and hope and expectation. But Matthew 11 has a different tone, a tone of uncertainty, because it raises a question about the quality of our perseverance and hope and expectation. And it comes from John the Baptist's question of Jesus. Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? So we may have been in a happy state of expectation as we prepared for the coming of Christ at Christmas, but suddenly this question comes at us from the side. John the Baptist, of course, was an extremely popular and influential figure who was just like one of the Old Testament prophets, dressed like them, ate like them, lived like them. Israel had not seen a prophet for 400 years, and then John storms onto the scene with a message of judgment and urgency and repentance. And he preached that God was on the move, you see, and that people should respond in contrition and faith. His job was to prepare the way for Jesus. But John's preaching was so fiery, so direct, so uncompromising, that Herod Antipas, the local ruler, had him arrested and thrown into jail. And it was because John had denounced him for taking his brother's wife and perpetrating many other evils. So, John the Baptist was in prison, and some of his followers carried a message back to Jesus, and the message was, are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Can you think of why John would have posed such a question? He was in prison, he'd heard about what Jesus was up to, he had heard that Jesus was mixing with tax collectors and sinners, he was enjoying a party, and he was spending time with the poor and destitute. And John must have felt that his own preaching about the imminent judgment of God just didn't really mesh with Jesus' message of acceptance, of table fellowship, of mercy and grace. And when you look at the reply that Jesus told them to carry back to John, it makes the point even more strongly that even now, the day of God's salvation was breaking into the world. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. Now, this is a mixture of quotes from various chapters from the book of Isaiah. Uh, all depicting the return of Israel from their long period of suffering in exile. 
And it's a whole series of images about the restoration of creation, of healing of diseases, of tremendous joy, of holiness of life. It is a picture of the renewed creation. Now, if you just want three words to describe the big picture of God's purposes in history, those three words would be creation, the fall, and new creation. And this is what Jesus was on about, the new creation. For example, Isaiah 35 verse 1, we heard it just a moment ago. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. This is all about the created order being renewed and restored. Verse 4, say to those who are of fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. That's a message to the downtrodden, to be encouraged. Verse 5, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Physical healing. And verse 10, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So John came warning that people should repent because of imminent judgment. But when Jesus came, he looked beyond that judgment to the time when the salvation of God would fully restore and heal all of creation. And in Jesus' ministry, that was already happening. So it seems to me that the reason John asked the question, are you the one or should we wait for another, was because he didn't fully understand the mission of Jesus. God's kingdom was like a mustard seed, we're told, elsewhere. A tiny, insignificant little seed. But over time, it would grow and produce a very substantial shrub. And the point is that the kingdom was going to be established in the middle of history, not at the end of history. It would be like a growing plant, growing in influence, day by day, year by year. And this is what John did not fully understand. Do we understand that this morning? That God's kingdom is among us, growing, influencing, and developing as the years go by. So John asked the question, are you the one? But I wonder, have you ever asked that same question of Jesus? Are you the one? Jesus, are you really the way, the truth, and the life? Are you really who you say you are? Because it raises many other questions. There are still the blind, the deaf, the poor among us. If Jesus is the one, where is the evidence for this great transformation that the Christian faith consistently talks about? On the surface, the world appears to be pretty much the same as it was before. There is still injustice, powerlessness, exploitation, scarcity, violence. The rich get richer, the poor just scrape by. The powerful get away with murder sometimes, and the corrupt seem to escape accountability. So is Jesus and his message really the one? Here's another question. 
if Jesus is the one, why are there so many competing religions and claims and philosophies out there? Even within Christianity, the high church, the low church, the broad church. There are the evangelicals, the charismatics, the liberals. If Jesus is the one, why are there so many different groups claiming him? And yet, the litmus test is outlined in the passage. Jesus said to John's followers, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. Is that what is happening today? Well, partly, but not fully. A little later in the service, we will pray the Lord's Prayer. And the first paragraph is one of the most important things you will ever pray. Our Father in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. The Christian vision spans every age, every tribe, class, race, and people. It is the most exciting vision of all. And we pray for this vision of a restored and renewed humanity, God's kingdom, to come among us now. And it's a cry from the heart. It's a deep yearning. It's based on something that we all know to be true, that things are not as they should be. We are made for much, much more. Not to be consumers, not to be treated like individuals, not to be selfishly caught up in the pleasures of this life, but to contribute to God's renewed humanity where everyone experiences the peace of God and the whole created order is at harmony with God and within itself. So what has this got to do with John the Baptist? Remind me again. Moldering in prison, he lost his vision of Jesus. We can be in our own prisons, mental prisons, emotional prisons, and we can forget about the meaning and the importance of our Lord Jesus Christ. Moulding in prison, John asked, are you the one or should we wait for another? My message this morning is that Jesus is the one and we should not wait before we get involved with Jesus. We have the mandate today to work and to toil for the renewal of ourselves, our community, our nation, and our world. Do not wait, but decide today to follow Jesus and to help extend God's love. I said earlier that today's reading introduces a sideways question about the quality of our hope and expectation. Are we going to wait passively for the coming of Jesus at Christmas and hope for the best? Well, it's going to come anyway. Why should I be involved? Or is our hope and expectation going to be of a certain quality, the quality of dissatisfaction, of discontent, which motivates us to actively engage in the work of the kingdom? 
because we know that Jesus is the one and we should not wait for anyone else. He is the one and he calls us to cooperate with him to bring in the kingdom that he began and he gave us the solemn mandate to continue. You know, if someone had come to me a year after I became your vicar and asked, are you the one or should we wait for someone else? My tender ego would probably take offence at that. Much to my shame, of course. But Jesus was not insulted. He patiently explained to John's disciples that they only need look around. The signs of the kingdom were everywhere if they had eyes to see. And, of course, he closed with a beatitude. Blessed is the one who takes no offence at me. In other words, blessed is the person who, in spite of the real challenges of believing and following Jesus, it is hard, nevertheless, puts their shoulder to the wheel and works with Jesus to carry forward and extend God's kingdom. Will you sign up for that this Advent? Amen.